Hello and welcome to another episode of New Books in Islamic Studies. I'm your host, Christian Peterson. For each program, we choose a new book that's especially interesting, and we chat with the author of that book. For this program, I had the pleasure of speaking with Aaron Hughes about his new book, Theorizing Islam, Disciplinary Deconstruction and Reconstruction, which came out with Equinox Press in 2012. Many academics, especially in the aftermath of September 11th, have had to become a public authority on Islam. This is largely due to the ongoing negative portrayal of Muslims in the media and the numerous misconceptions individuals derive from these portraits. Others have noted some of the consequences of this new call many Islamists choose to answer, but in this new volume, Theorizing Islam, the types of scholarship scholars of Islam produce are put under the microscope. In this book, Aaron Hughes does not reflect on how Muslims understand the boundaries of their tradition, but offers a study of the study of Islam. Overall, Hughes contends that scholars of Islam working in religious studies departments generally reproduce apologetic portraits of Islam that do not effectively demonstrate the spectrum of Muslim perspectives. For Hughes, the result is that the complicated relationship between Islamic and religious studies is never resolved, and Islamicists continue to remain relegated to their own quarter of the field and avoid contributing to the larger ongoing discourses. The provocation introduced in theorizing Islam is a call for more sophisticated approach to the academic study of Islam, which accounts for critical theory and methodology. In our conversation, we discuss contemporary presentations of Muhammad's life, how research is affected when stepping into the public discourse about Islam, the rhetorical dichotomy of culture and religion, Orientalism, historicity versus redaction, institutional and academic affiliation, and when the academic study of religion works best. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Without further ado, here's our interview. Hello, and welcome to another episode of New Books in Islamic Studies. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Aaron Hughes, professor at University of Rochester, about his new book, Theorizing Islam, Disciplinary Deconstruction and Reconstruction. Good morning, Aaron. How are you? Uh, good morning, Christian. Well, thank you. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for, for making some time to talk with us. Well, thank you for uh, uh, inviting me onto your program and uh, letting me discuss my book with your listeners. Yeah, it's great. I think, I think a lot of people will be interested uh, because it is a, a very interesting, thoughtful, and provocative book. So, uh, But before we get into the book, though, uh, can you give us a little bit of background of uh, how you got interested in Islamic studies, religious studies, uh, yeah. Where, where you fit into the field. Sure. I'd be happy to. Well, see, I'm a full professor now. I have to go way, way back to uh, <laughs> as an undergraduate at the University of Alberta, way up in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, I'd originally started out as a major in classics. Uh, I, liked, uh, I, I liked ancient history and I liked, I liked languages. Um, however, everything, everything, all the classes seemed to always talk about how great the Greeks and the Romans were. Uh, someone with a, uh, a Lebanese Shiite grandfather made me wonder, well, wait a minute, there's got to be other people. I always remember, what about, the, what about the Phoenicians? What about the Philistines? Didn't they give us all kinds of interesting stuff? So I was completely, uh, and I, I, you know, I wasn't aware of you know, Said's Orientalism at this point. Or, uh, I was just dissatisfied as, uh, you know, existentially with uh, uh, the status quo and classics. I'm, I'm hoping it's changed somewhat since then. I'm, it's not my concern, though. So uh, the next semester, I, I figured I, I had taken one course in religious studies. I think it was on like mysticism, comparative mysticism. So um, uh, I decided I would sign up for more classes. In fact, this might even be – I did very well in the class. I liked the professor. So as you know, the cult of professor is often the way that people choose majors. So I, uh, uh, the two major courses offered the following year were both in Islamic studies taught by Earl H. Waugh, who works uh, a lot uh, in uh, contemporary Sufism in Egypt and Morocco, a uh, graduate of the University of Chicago and Mircea Eliade um, for, you know, for better or worse. And uh, I took a course on Introduction to Islam. And I took a course on introduction to the Quran, um, and uh, I was interested. I thought this was this was really this was really really much more different than classics. It talked a lot about uh, uh, religion and uh, um, society, not just ancient history. So. Um, I decided to take more courses in religious studies. Unfortunately, Earl Waugh 
um, left for a year. Uh, he took another visiting position somewhere else. And uh, I took a lot of other courses. I majored in religious. In fact, I did an honors in, in religious studies, but no Islamicist there. there. So um, I did a lot of work in Jewish studies, which is also another uh, um, Judaism, of course, is another part of my, uh, my uh, genetic makeup. So um, I took courses on in a lot of courses in Jewish studies. And then I, when I finished my BA, I knew that I wanted to go on and do more, especially with the interaction with Judaism and Islam. And of course, anyone that works on interactions between Judaism and Islam tends to gravitate towards the medieval period. Uh, so that's what I did. And I went to Indiana University where I studied under um, – a number of people in Islamic studies, such as John Walbridge, who works on philosophy, Suzanne Stepkevich, who works on um, Islamic poetry, pre-Islamic uh, and pre-Arabic poetry, pre-Islamic and Islamic, Fedwa Malti Douglas, and uh, a number of Arabists. In addition to doing all the requisite coursework for um, Jewish studies, uh, in fact, I spent a number of years at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Working on medieval Judaism, Arabic, Judeo-Arabic, etc. Uh, Hebrew University is a uh, university that takes um, Arabic and Islam seriously. So I got a lot of good work there, mainly with Israeli scholars of, uh, of Islamic stu- studies, such as Yochanan Friedman. Um, and then I wrote a dissertation that looked at uh, the the concept of the imagination in medieval Islamic and Jewish philosophy. And I liked it a lot, and it won a it was shortlisted for a uh, Jewish Studies Book Award. And it's funny; I think this might come up, or maybe it won't come up. Um, people in Jewish Studies are, respect, are 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 receptive to things in Islamic Studies, uh, whereas people in Islamic Studies, oh, for all kinds of political reasons or other, are not tend not to be so receptive to work in Jewish Studies. So the majority, the, the, the place where Jew, Jewish Islamic work takes place tends to be amongst in, in, in Jewish studies. So um, what I did is when I graduated, I, I, you know, I, I applied for positions in Jewish studies and Islamic studies because I had the, the linguistic and uh, historical skills to work in both areas. And uh, my first job was that was my first job, but my first real job was at the uh, University of Calgary in uh, Western Canada as an Islamicist, a straight, pure land Islamicist. In fact, I was the replacement of Andrew Rippon, the uh, very good Quranic scholar. And um, my very first week on the job, like so many of us, coincided with uh, September 11th, 2001. And uh, I guess you, Christian, are too young to remember this, or but you know you were, you were, you know, but it was a uh, it was a really strange time to be an Islamicist in um, in not not just in North America but in Canada in particular. I think the the, the reaction of um, Canadians and Canadian Muslims was much different than the reactions to the Americans and American Muslims. Uh, Canada is always uh, critical of the United States for various reasons, and um, I think. A lot of Canadians were like, oh, wait, wait a minute, you know, let's not be so, let's not, you know, do this raw, raw nationalism, etc. And there were a lot of Muslims in Canada at the time, things have changed much since then, uh, who were also very, very critical. I remember as the Islamicist, I had to speak at a, um, uh, you know, uh, inter- at a, well, not an interfaith, at a, um, the, the week after there was some kind of service at the university of remembrance for the victims of 9-11. And... Uh, one of the, the representative from the Muslim Students Association, he was a young man from uh, Tunisia or something, got up and said that Islam is a uh, religion that will always fight for the oppressed uh, and um, was very militant and basically sat down and everyone in the audience was was aghast. Um, so... Uh, and it was around this time that I began to think, you know, as, as Islamicists on the Islam AAR listserv uh, began to respond to this, um, the the way in which Islam was bandied about, the way in which it was talked about, you know, real Islam wasn't about this, it's about this, and really got me interested 
in thinking about, well, what is the real Islam? And maybe there's no such thing as the real Islam because the real Islam, like the real anything, is always in the minds of those who are doing the construction. So that led me into my first theoretical book on Islamic studies, uh, Situating Islam, in which I tried to uh, account for the uh, discourses that gave rise to Islamic studies and that could produce these discourses that were occurring in the aftermath of September 11th amongst Islamists. My, I should be clear here that my interest is not in Muslims. In that, in the theorizing Islam, we're going to talk about uh, shortly. It's always about scholarship. So it's meta questions. And so in that book, Theorizing, uh, I'm sorry, Situating Islam, I tried to, you know, look at the various uh, ways in which Islam is produced in the academic world, uh, surveying textbooks, um, uh, conferences, uh, um, g- groups like uh, Campus Watch, Daniel Pipe's Campus Watch, uh, people like um, uh, in Islamic studies, people that were um, essentially liberal Muslim th- theologians. Uh, who were writing in the context of religious studies using the discourse and the um, comfort or, or protection that religious studies offered them to essentially engage in, in liberal uh, Islamic theologizing. And in many ways, I thought, um, and for the most part still continue to think, use that as a pulpit with which to create a, uh, a realist. And not that there's anything wrong with that. I always like to compare that what some of these liberal Muslim theologians are doing now is not unlike what liberal reform-minded theologians were doing at the origins of uh, uh, Jewish studies back in Germany in the 19th century. People like Abraham Guy, Heinrich Gratz, etc. So that's a that's a long version of how I came how I got from there to here. Yeah, no, that's that's great. It's good because you can see how, how how a lot of these concerns arise from your own experience when uh, when you read Theorizing Islam. Yeah, and, uh, you know what? Let me just add one thing, Christian. Yeah, go ahead. What, what I, I, I personally found it uh, very difficult because um, I'm not a Muslim. And often in that those, those weeks and months and even years after 9-11, people wanted me to be a voice for Islam, whether at the university, whether in the media – whether you know interfaith dialogue things or at churches or at synagogues, and I felt very uncomfortable going somewhere speaking as or for Muslims. And I think it was just that that reper- the, the, the the repercussions of that that really um, enabled me or really really led to the the the, the writing of of situating Islam. Yeah. Um. There's uh, in the beginning of the book you you kind of talk about the complicated relationship between Islamic and religious studies. And I know you don't necessarily cover this uh, in depth in theorizing Islam, but maybe you could kind of just briefly situate this relationship since I know you do this elsewhere. Sure. Um, Well, religious studies for for listeners is a very complicated um, discipline. And I, I think I always have to be clear that when I'm saying that there's problems with Islamic studies as taught within departments of religious studies. I'm not trying to say that the way religious studies taught is taught is any better. I think that religious studies, like Islamic studies, and in fact, I think Islamic studies is only good as its cognate as its mother discipline, is full of you know making essentialisms about phenomenal making phenomenological comparisons about ecumenicism, uh, and so. I think that the, the, the relationship between religious studies and Islamic studies is a complicated one, which I tried to address in, in, in situating Islam, how it, it came, went from Semitic studies into, into religious studies. I, I tried to trace that. But I think that the, the – um, is that for the longest time, Islamic studies hasn't been – hasn't fit well within religious studies for all kinds of reasons. People just weren't interested in Islam. I mean, it was always seen as a fairly arid, dry, uh, dry religion, and uh, right, everyone gravitated towards Eastern religions, uh, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, etc. Uh, and one thing that September 11th has done is really thrown Islam into the spotlight. And um, gosh, in the in the years after 9/11, the the um, the, the job postings 
for people in Islam went up you know, exponentially. Uh, I think one year I counted as many as like 40 jobs for Islamists. And at one point, I think there were actually more jobs than there were people to fill them. So if that was only the case today. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you know, these things always, it, it was like Russian studies. I, I think that um, people who worked on Russian history and Russian uh, uh, Russian language back in the, during the Cold War, uh, there were all kinds of jobs for those. Because uh, face it, I mean, uh, jobs are... are, are, are um, are correlative to where our you know our troops are and uh, what's in threat. I mean, probably Chinese studies is going to be the next uh, the next uh, big big thing in 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 religious studies. So, um, uh, where was I going with that? So, yeah, I think that uh, um, that Islamic studies has bought into the major discourses of religious studies that I critique as ecumenical, as largely Protestant-based, as phenomenological, as, uh, um, you know, as uh, uh, that are based on the rhetoric of authenticity, right? This is what authentic Islam is. And within, within religious studies, there's a counter move to be very critical of those discourses. I think of people like Jonathan Z. Smith, uh, Bruce Lincoln, uh, Russell McCutcheon, uh, a number of, of people I know fairly well. And um, I thought, gosh, how come, how come no one is doing this in Islamic studies? How come no one is applying some of these critical discourses that people are developing that are really going to the heart of what it means to study religion, trying to, to dismantle or deconstruct the traditional categories we've used? Why doesn't anyone use Islamic data to do this? So what I try to do in situating Islam and then again in theorizing Islam is say, well, because I'm privy to these conversations uh, in, in, in religious studies that are very critical of the status quo, what happens if I were to apply these to the study of Islam? So in many ways you can say what I'm doing is not even particularly original. It's taking the categories and discourses of people like Lincoln and McCutcheon and, and Smith and applying them to, uh, to Islamic studies. Um, now – you, you've you've largely described this without labeling it, but in in the book, um, this kind of apologetic uh, position you 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 call Islamic religious studies. Yeah, and that that term, I you know, I I, I struggle. I think I've been saying in the introduction. I struggled for a long time to what to call this because I, it, it's it's the term. It's infelicitous to say those scholars in religious studies department who study Islamic data. So Islamic religious studies was a, was a term that I borrowed from um, the book by uh, – oh, gosh – by uh, Ernst and Martin in Rethinking Islamic Studies. They refer to this term. So I said, hey, they're going to they're gonna call themselves that. And in fact, many of the, the people in that volume – I'm, I'm quite critical of, of that volume. I thought, well, that would be a good – term to use to describe those uh, whom I'm critical of, those of whom I'm critical, whereas um, Martin and Ernst and other people in that volume, I think, use the term positively as opposed to pejoratively. So um, the uh, so yeah so that that's a that is the the, the blanket term I refer. Now, of course, I have to be clear here. I'm not trying to say that everyone. In Islamic religious studies, is doing bad. There is so, there are so many fascinating, interesting, highly specialized works that are produced by scholars uh, uh, of Islamic religious studies, and you know I, I, that's not my the you know I'm not trying to level my critique against those people. Although sometimes I think they still use terms like religion, experience, and Islam in ways that I think need to be nuanced more. Um, my main critique is the way we talk about Islam in the introductory classroom, which is where the majority of our, our teaching uh, goes on, or the majority of our energies are expended in, 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 uh, at the university, and the ways in which scholars of, of, of Islam uh, really apologize for Islam, which I, I guess on, on many levels, there's probably nothing wrong with apologizing for your tradition, but... I think that it's very important to be aware at what point one is being a theologian, speaking within the tradition, and at what point one is speaking about the tradition. So I always think that in this religious studies classroom or Islamic religious studies classroom, like the university more generally, we have to be absolutely clear what we're doing. We're not going to try, we're not here to adjudicate what is good Islam, what is bad Islam. 
uh, were here to show how various Islamic, how various groups who uh, invoke the term Islam uh, uh, struggle with one another and uh, struggle with that. So I'm, I'm really interested, probably because of my own contorted sense of identity, I'm always interested in how identity is constructed, maintained, formed, patrolled, etc. So this is what I try to do in the, in the religious studies, uh, um, uh, in the Islamic religious studies classroom. Um, now, you talk about this in, in the first chapter, uh, or the first section, I should say, um, in relation to Muhammad. Um, yeah. And you, you use several kind of uh, books that are aimed at a kind of mix of popular... Uh, Muslim, non-Muslim, general readership, I guess, would be a good way to phrase it. Right. So uh, what do you see as kind of the characteristics of some of these post-9-11 histories of Muhammad or biographies of Muhammad or however you want to describe it? Sure. Well, I think think the majority of them fib. (laughs) Um, And that's because, as, you know, any scholar of early Islam will tell you, we know next to nothing about the Prophet Muhammad. Um, all we have are the, the, the reminiscences of later generations. And it bothers me that the, the books of which I'm critical in that chapter are written, are all written by, the majority written by believing Muslims who are trying to say that we can accurately access the historical Mohammed, when they know that we can't. So I'm, I try to ask the question, well, I tried to contextualize these sources, these, these, these contemporary books as well. They're doing the exact same thing that the earliest Muslims were doing. And that is they're trying to create Mohammed in their own images. So rather than read these works as secondary sources, which in many ways is the way the authors present them. I chose to read the. I chose to. I chose to read them as primary sources. That is, as nothing different than what the um, uh, the the compilers of the Sirat Rasul Allah were doing in the uh, in the you know two hundred years or so after the death of uh, of, of Muhammad. So that's what I'm critical of. Is that they're and I think one of them even says that the reader can rest assured that the Muhammad presented here will be the authentic Muhammad. Whenever the term authentic is, is used, it always makes me nervous. Whenever I go into an, Ital- an authentic Italian restaurant outside of Italy, I, 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 you know, I, I never know, I, you know, I, I will usually avoid such a restaurant. Um, and these authors also tell us that they've read all the sources but they never tell us that those sources are extremely problematic. So what I try to do in that in in, in that chapter is to say, well, wait a minute, you're 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 trying to position yourself in such a way that you're an authority about the historical Muhammad, when in fact we know nothing about the historical Muhammad. But essentially, what you're trying to do is create a Muhammad that reflects your sensibilities. So we see the construction of a liberal Muhammad. A Muhammad who is a feminist, a Muhammad who is um, who is uh, you know big on the environment, and a Muhammad who is uh, I can't remember some of the other examples I give, and I'm just trying to say, well, whoa, 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 let's 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 step back here and and really see what's going on in these uh, in in these texts, and. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm critical of such books. In fact, I try to juxtapose them against some other books, uh, books by um, David Powers, uh, who uh, is a much more skeptical historian, uh, or someone like Stephen Shoemaker, who is, again, another more skeptical uh, uh, historian. And um, uh, I'm not trying to – so, I, 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 so, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do in, in that chapter is trying to say, well, let's go back to – we're going to use that, that – you know, horrible name. Let's go back, you know, to some of the old Orientalist traditions. The questions I'm asking are the questions that Power is asking, are the questions that Shoemaker is asking, are questions that were asked 150 years ago. Uh, but as I try to argue in both situated Islam and theorizing Islam, um, Said, Edward Said, in, the, in his Orientalism, largely succeeded in 
saying that all those types of studies that look at historical critical sources or look at historical sources critically are somehow part of a plot to undermine Islam. Now, um, one uh, the, the crux of kind of your, your uh, many of your arguments is the kind of the historicity of these sources. Um, now, uh, a book that you find to be successful kind of using these sources is Fred Donner's Muhammad and the Believers. I'm wondering yeah. if you could, you could talk about why you feel like a Donner's book was successful versus some of these other presentations. Yeah. Well, Don, you know, again, Donner's, Donner's is, I have a problem with, I have a problem with everything. I have a problem with Donner's <laughs> for another, Donner's is, is much more sophisticated in the sense. And then I, th- and I think more realistic in the sense that he would have said that Muhammad would have had this very, exclusive or a very inclusive message that would have appealed to all sorts of other um, monotheists in the area and that only gradually did something that we now recognize as as Islam coalesce into that. My problem with, with Donner, though, is the way he uses the category religion. Um, the way he talks about religion, he talks about from the vantage point of the 20th century and, and uses all the rhetoric of, of religion that people in religious studies like McCutcheon, Lincoln, uh, Smith are so critical of. So whereas I think I like Donner's nuanced portrayal of what Mohammed's message might have looked like. In the in the seventh century uh, Arabia, I, I'm I'm critical of his use of terms like spirituality, uh, like religious fervor, etc. These are again, I think these are an imposition of 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 terms. Um, sure, this might also stem from kind of uh, institutional affiliations and departmental divisions, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, one of the uh, the the other kind of thing that is a uh, addressed in this chapter and, and arises in several other places is that uh, part of why uh, many of these books become authoritative is not only because uh, they are often believing Muslims, but, but more so because of their institutional affiliation. Um, their authorities because they're, they're academics, right? So could you, could you talk a little bit about this relationship of, of where um, I guess – Scholar believers uh, yeah, yeah. can approach this type of work. Do, I, I mean, you might think that they shouldn't do this type of work, but is there a place for this kind of participant observer insider yeah. position from, from academics? Let me come at that from a couple of a uh, couple of angles. The first thing is, you're right. Is that the majority of books that I'm critical of, the names of their scho- of the scholar, many of the scholars are, you know, um, Ramadan, uh, Safi, uh, Afsaruddin. Uh, the people, the books that I tended to like more were written by Powers, Donner, Shoemaker. So you're right that there is a, a real tension within Islamic studies between those who are Muslims and those who are not Muslims. And that's not to say that a Muslim can't be critical of his or her own tradition or that a non-Muslim can't write in a way that's simply um, uh, uh, valorizing the terms of the tradition. I don't want to step into that binary. Uh, But the majority of the books written by Muslims on Muhammad are written by, I guess, did you call them scholar theologians? Um, I said uh, participant observers. I think that's one of the words you use. Participant observers, right? Then this is, and and again, I I have absolutely no problem with any of those books. My problem is that they is that they're based on a categorical mistake, and that is they claim to be works of religious studies that are written by scholars of religion who are employed by state universities, by, paid by government monies, to teach non-Muslims and Muslims about the Islamic tradition, but they're not doing that. They're writing as theologians, they're writing as insiders, and they're trying to, um, they're not being honest about the sources, and the result is that religious studies, Islamic religious studies, much like Buddhist studies or, or even Jewish studies or other, other traditions, risks becoming a platform for liberal theologizing. Now, what I've always said is if we're going to do theology, we should just call it theology. I have nothing against theology. I have a problem with theology when it masquerades as the academic study of religion. And I don't think, and I don't think people are being clear. So when you say that 
the Muhammad you're presenting is going to be the authentic Muhammad and that you've read all the sources, you have to follow that up and say, well, these sources date from a much from a much later period, and they're not eyewitness accounts, and that we can't get an, at an authentic Muhammad, that every every community historically, um, uh, synchronically, diachronically creates a Muhammad in their own image, much like followers of Jesus do, much like uh, Jews do with the concept of halakha and observance. Um, the next section, you... Uh you revolve around uh, some of the same figures, and specifically uh, John Esposito. Um, the the kind of the catalyst it seems for this this second section um, is that Jonathan Esposito or John Esposito is going to be the the forthcoming AAR president. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I, this this section also brings up uh, broader issues revolving around the, the role of the scholar of Islam. So I'm wondering if you can kind of be, be, begin your discussion on this topic on how, how is uh, the research of an Islamist is affected when they must step into a public discourse often about Islam and, and what might be what, – what is a public audience expecting of a scholar of Islam? And you, you've talked about this a little bit in your own experience. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you could elaborate. No, no, that you're right. It's, it's, it's a very tough question. Um, I sometimes think that if 9-11 had never happened, um, what, what scholarship in Islamic studies would have looked like. It seems that um, there were a lot of people doing really good things that in the immediate aftermath of 9-11 um, stopped doing that and, and began to uh, um, apologize. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way, but began to stick up for the tradition. And look, I mean, I'd be the first to, to uh, uh, the way uh, public discourse in this country deals with Islam, I think is uh, absolutely uh, sickening and, 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 and horrendous. Um, you know, when, when Muslims can't, uh, you know, there's all kinds of objections to Muslims putting up a mosque in Tennessee or California or wherever. I, I think this is uh, uh, absolutely disgusting. Um, but having said that, I think that the scholar of Islam or scholars of Islam need to be clear on boundaries. Uh, now, obviously, you can't go into an interview talking and you can't nuance things in an interview the way you can in in, in your writing. Sure. And um, so the question is, uh, yeah, I, I think this would be a good wor- workshop at, for the Islam uh, for the uh, study of Islam section at, at the AAR. Maybe the time has passed because we're so far on from nine eleven. But I don't think the uh, the problematic that informs that we, we we're still there. And that is, how do we deal with with the media? How can we deal with the media in a way? that respects the canons of scholarship uh, and at the same time at the same time we can make informative judgments based on living with the tradition for the past you know however many years 5 10 15 20 30 40 years so it's 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 a, it's a great challenge and um, i'm not sure how to do it when i when i would do it i would always make it clear under which hat I was wearing. Am I speaking as a scholar of Islam, of Islam? Because if I'm speaking as a scholar of Islam, I will say something much different than if I'm here to defend Islam against um, various, you know, neoconservative criticisms. And again, it's, it's, it's the slippage that I'm uncomfortable with. The slippage from the scholar to the practitioner and vice versa. Uh, the slippage from religious studies to theology. Uh, so I, I always want to try and, I guess, patrol that 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 boundary. Yeah. Um, so moving specifically to Esposito, you're 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 critical about Esposito's work throughout the book. Yeah. Uh, and one of the the big critiques you have um, is this dichotomy he creates, which is not specific to. To Islamic studies, but this relationship between religion and culture. Yeah. Um, could you could you kind of just talk about this um, more generally from a religious studies perspective? What what happens when we start using this kind of rhetoric of culture okay, versus sure. religion? I mean, I think in, in I speak from the position in religious studies that religion is a nonsensical term. That there's no such thing as religion. That all there is cultural formations. So. 
Um, right away then, I mean, I mean, there's even historical reasons for this, right? I mean, uh, most cultures of the globe don't have the term religion. Um, the fact that scholars of religion go in and, um, you know, carve out this thing and say, ah, this is religion. So it's now divorced from all kinds of cultural, social, intellectual, uh, uh, gendered context just really makes me really uncomfortable. And so, and I've, I've written a lot about that. So right away then I think religion is a, um, a folk tax on of the, of the, um, largely Christian Protestant West that we have imposed on other cultures and forced them to speak about themselves in ways that we, uh, we, we in our hubris have feel, feel good about. So, uh, the, the religion culture dichotomy, I, I would say that there's no such thing as religion. There's simply cultural constructions. So if I say there's a difference between religion and culture, that assumes that religion exists somewhere independently of culture, which it doesn't. So um, when, when as Esposito will say, well, we know that Islam as a religion does not condone X, but X happens in places like rural Pakistan or or rural uh, Jordan. Uh, this shows that it's the culture, but not the religion. And I'm not comfortable with that because uh, the two don't exist independently of one another. And uh, I think it's hubris on his part to say that the people who do X in rural Pakistan or rural Jordan or wherever um, don't understand their tradition. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't really know how to phrase this as a question, but it brings up a point that you, you kind of touch upon throughout the book, that this idea that um, when introducing Islam, capital I, as a religion, uh, the, the whole spectrum of voices needs to be positioned, I guess. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, it's, it's, um, you're, you're so right. It's, we have to say that, uh, um, and this is the problem with religion is that we, we assume Islam is a religion. So therefore it has to be this unified monolithic voice. Uh, whereas Islam, like any other tradition is, I prefer to speak of Islam's or Christianity's or Buddhism's or Judaism's is a, um, is a, uh, uh, is 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 a symphony of uh, of of instruments uh, to switch metaphors from voices to instruments, uh, and um, and we have to pay attention to those because if not, we again fall into the problem that Esposito does as saying that he knows right this um, non-Muslim white guy uh, teaching at Washington D.C. Um, that he is the arbiter of what is authentic Islam and what is real Islam and what how religious example Islam differs from cultural it's it, there's too many hula hoops there and again it goes back to the a, a couple of terms that i've mentioned earlier we have to be honest about what we're doing and we are scholars so we have to you know i'm, I'm I probably sound old-fashioned about you know when i talk about the canons of scholarship and objectivity and all this kind of stuff um, i try to point out the unobjectivity of people all the way trying to maintain my own objectivity, which of course is an impossible thing, but Hey, we have to try to speak from somewhere, but I do take seriously the canons of scholarship to be a scholar is to be a profession and we can't fib and we can't bend the truth and we can't, and we can't, um, you know, do these sorts of things all in the name of a good story or all in the name of portraying Islam in a way uh, that reflects our own sensibilities. So what I try to do is, as you, as you said, is to, in the, the very introductory classroom, how can you account for the diversity of Islam without making us the arbiters, the judges of what is real Islam and what is unreal or fake Islam? And this is why groups like Al Qaeda are so fascinating from a uh, in the classroom is because you know we're so quick to say that this is not good or real Islam, whereas the people that are doing this, uh, the members of Al Qaeda, see themselves as quite simply the only, the true, the best Muslims. Uh, this, we could say the same thing about Zionism and in, in, in Ju- in Judaism or you know militant Hinduism, etc. So we have to think about. Religi- Islamic religious studies 
in a way that will allow us to nuance. And this is why I don't write as I can't write as a scholar, a participant observer, um, uh, because uh, I think if we write, write as a participant observer, we write as insiders and we ultimately write as theologians. And when we write as theologians, we want to try to convince people of, of, of something. And this is why with the, the, um, the book, I, I, I was quite, I'm quite, I don't know if you're going to get to that, but I was quite critical of the, the book Rethinking Islamic Studies by Carl Ernst and Richard Martin and the collection of essays therein because um, too many, they, they, they portray the book as the future of Islamic studies. And um, someone like, you should be worried, Christian, because I don't know if you're a Muslim. And if, you are, if you're not a Muslim, I don't know how you, how you fit in, in this type of, uh, of, uh, of discourse that they're trying to do. So what, what, what they're trying to do, the essays that, in that volume are trying to say, no longer is Orientalism a valid form of religious studies. This is now the bete noir of the field. Whereas there's some Orientalist scholarship that is absolutely first rate. Uh, people like Powers, people like Shoemaker, I'm sure that these people would call themselves, uh, would have no problems calling themselves Orientalists. Um, the majority of essays in that volume are, are, are written by, by, by Muslims. And they're not critical. I would, I would say they're post-critical. And I guess um, the, we now live in a world of post, right? Post-modern, post-critical, post-orientalist, post, post. Um, post uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, 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 um, post, post-colonial. And um, I'm worried that in all these posts, uh, it's all identity politics. Um, yeah, let's. So the, 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 you kind of break this book up into three sections, and the last section is kind of a larger reflection on, um, on this text, this Rethinking Islamic Studies, um, which from the, the contributor's perspective is a kind of uh, applying kind of new methodologies – or new theories. I don't really uh, see the new theories or new methods, but I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Well, that's, that's, the, that's kind of the positioning, right? Yeah. So I'm wondering if before you can kind of get into the specifics of the book, you can, what, what, what do you see as the relationship between theory and method where, I mean, even in, in graduate programs in religious studies, this, this is kind of a catch all term, right? But there, there are clear distinctions between what is theory and what is method. And now you're the, the new editor of a, Theory and yeah. method in the study of religion. So, what what is your perspective on the, on the relationship between theory and method? And I, I guess okay. how how does when does the academic study of religion work best in that perspective? Okay. I guess. Well, I think theory and method are two very different things, and I don't think we nuance them enough. I mean, theory for me is literally sort of causal, explanatory accounts of religion. So you think of the great theorists of religion. Um, uh, Marx, Freud. Uh, recently, I think a majority of theorizing of religion goes on in cognitive science. We have all, yeah, evolutionary biologists and all these people trying to explain the origins of religion. For me, that's theory. Method is deals with the critical discourses and maybe more the meta questions. So that that's the way I, um, I I see theory and method. Obviously, they're related to one another. They don't have to be. Uh, and oftentimes, people in dealing with theories of religion are very critical of people working on methodologies of religion um, and vice versa. I don't know if you were at the Nasser panel this uh, year um, when we looked at the, the identity of Nasser, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, where uh, people like Russell and McCutcheon and myself were on that panel. I think we both deal with the methodology of religion, whereas our respondent was Don, was Don Weeb, who is very much a theorist of religion. And he he spanked us good um, <laughs> for all the wrong reasons, I think. And um, But it just was it was clear to me that even within issues of theory and method in religious studies, there is so much um, incongruences and so much disharmony that to, to say that it represents a field of study is, uh, is problematic. Yeah. Now, as far as how does that, this relate to the um, rethinking Islamic studies? Well, 
you're right. It's an attempt to address what they say, new methodologies and new theories uh, to the academic study of religion. I don't see this in in many of the volumes, in many of the essays. Some some I do. I think actually the the, the I said in my review of the book, the the uh, chapter by Martin and his colleague is very good. But the result, the, the, they in the introduction, they're trying to find ways to, and I think they're like me. They're aware that there's a disconnect between theory and method in the study of religion and Islamic studies. So they're proposing a model to try to deal with that. I don't know what the model is. It's it's I guess it's a it's a melange of models. But I don't think any of them really deal with it properly. None of them deal head on with issues of theory and method in religious studies. Um, so I think I said, you know, a couple of times they'll mention, they mention Assad in the beginning, but they don't, no one really deals with Talal Assad in, 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 a, in, in a way and say, I would say the way someone like Ruth Maas would do uh, from the University of Colorado. I mean, it's, it's almost the invocation of names. And I worry, I worry about this, not just in Islamic studies, but in religious studies more generally. You can go into an interview and you can mention, oh yeah, well, I'm a Smithian. And Smith becomes code for, for what? So that without out, out actually having to follow through the uh, – or Assad can be code without having to follow through the repercussions of an Assadian analysis for your data. So again, I think that a lot of the essays in that, in that volume lack a certain scholarly rigor. They're written, as you said earlier, from the position of scholar participants or participant observers or theologians. Some of them are outright theological. I think the essay by um, uh, uh, what's his name? The very first one by uh, Vince Cornell? Yeah, by Vince Cornell. It's completely theological. You know what? I think he probably admitted it was theological. And he and I would probably agree there's nothing the matter with theology. However, to say that this is a new theory and method for the future of integrating Islamic studies into the secular study of religion baffles me. So, and, oh, okay, go on. Uh, so, so where where do we go then? I guess, uh, and and you kind of try to do this in the conclusion, right? So, yeah. what, so where do we go? How how should we? You you call it uh, a new Islamic studies? How, yeah. how should we approach this? I know, you know, I'm always worried that I'm going to, everyone's going to see me as just the, uh, the deconstructor. So I always feel like I have to put something at the end of my works to show that I'm not just all pessimistic. The glass is only, is only, uh, a fifth hole <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, I don't, I, I mean, to me, if we're going to do Islamic studies in religious studies, which is what I'm interested in doing, which I'm assuming what you're interested in doing, and I'm assuming that the majority of people who study Islam, who, who, who exist in religious studies departments are trying to do, we have to, we have to try to connect to the, uh, to the discipline. We can be critical of it. Um, I mean, I, I don't think that everything that Smith says is good or everything that Lincoln says is good or everything that McCutcheon says is good, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but we have to try to show how we, we have to we have to I'd like to see more meta studies. How do how are things constructed? I'd like to see more um I'd like to see more um I like it when Islamic studies, as probably the reflecting my own idiosyncrasies, is to me I've always cross-pollinated work in Islamic studies with work in Jewish studies. So I always like the interdisciplinarity. I, I like the way that, you know, that, that, in, that, that, that interdisciplinary can bring to, to uh, equations. I also like the questions that people like Shoemaker uh, ask, and that is, you know, his, he has a very um, fascinating argument that, um, you know, Muhammad what what do we do with those traditions that say Muhammad didn't die in Mecca? And my, I, I'm pretty worried that he actually died in battle of trying to retake the, the, the quote-unquote Holy Land. What do you do with people like uh, the, in Rethinking Islamic Studies who really present that book as the future of the discipline – and as I, I make note in, in both the review in the jar and the and in my larger review in the chapter in the in the in the book is is they 
there's nothing pre-modern there. There's the, people aren't interested in you know the redactional history of the Quran because it's I don't know it's 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 politically incorrect. It might offend Muslim sensibilities or offend sensibilities of others. Um, you know we, we can have books devoted to the chanting of the Quran in rural Indonesia, but very few people in religious study, Islamic religious studies want to ask hard questions about early Islam. So I'm worried that the new Islamic, the, the, I'm sorry, the Islamic religious studies has systematically said what is good scholarship on Islam or what will now count as good scholarship on Islam and what won't. You can't work on quote-unquote, orientalist topics, but you can work on topics of gender justice. You can't work on the, um, the relationship between the historical and the cosmic Mohammed, but you can work on showing how Islam is uh, read in a certain way, is, uh, supports homosexuality, etc., so I really see myself, I hope I'm not, but I, I often see myself as sort of a, the lone wolf who is constantly trying to chip away at these regnant discourses. I don't know with any, I have no idea how, how effective it is. I imagine I'm just ignored. Um, but I feel that some of us have to just try to make others aware. And, and that's why um, the article I wrote, the pro- pro- provocation that appeared in the, the pages of MTSR, um, I really wrote as a provocation, uh, as a way to, you know, sort of rhetorically uh, and, and, and in the genre of the provocation to get people to think about it. And I think a lot of people got semi-angry at me. Some people agreed with me. and But again, I have, I have no idea what um, – if anyone shares my, my view of the, of the field. And sometimes it's disheartening, but, but, you know, I keep doing what I do for the sake of – I don't pay the bills. <laughs> do you um, do you think some of these uh, foci in research uh, extend from uh, disciplinary training, where myself, uh, someone who's largely been trained in religious studies, um, understands Islam as a more global religion, and therefore I, I focus on China. Of, of course, yeah. and uh, I, I mean, so that would not give me the linguistic skills to do things like the early history or the early redaction of the. Project. Oh yeah, no, I mean, yeah, Christian, I agree. I mean, I, one thing, the, the thing that I'll, all I want to say is, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to dictate anyone's pattern for what what's good scholarship or what's bad scholarship. Well, I mean, if people people work in, in work on all kinds of things, my, my only point is that people are going to do theology. They have to say, okay, I'm doing theology, uh, I, you know, and, and they should probably be. You know, they be employed in in a, in a theology department or a seminary. Um, if people just don't want to work on, or I'm not saying that that early Islam is the only thing that people should be working in. I mean, people like yourself who worked on Islam in, in China, this is great, and I, it's especially great because you are trained in, in the in the critical discourses of religious studies. So I'm assuming that you will bring to bear on your data set those types of questions. So that that's all I'm calling for. Uh, it's it, there's no. Um, you know, there's no – I'm not trying to be ideological. I mean everything is ideology. I, I, you know, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm sort of Marxist that way. But um, I, I'm not trying to, to, to say what people should work on. And I think that's why I found the rethinking Islamic studies so offensive is because I got the sense that this was an attempt to say what was in and what was out. Yeah, I, I mean uh – this this could be the case because I think some of this work does happen, but it but often does happen in other types of places. Uh, especially a lot of research in Europe is going on with kind of the early Quran yeah. issues of historical research, um, but they often tend to stem from uh, Near Eastern departments or other types of departments. So it could be these these kind of uh, institutional divisions as well. Yeah, yeah, no, and and that's well, that, that, but then the question is, how do we, 
how do we engage these issues in, in the religious studies classroom? Like, I guess that's really our bread and butter. So we should always bring that back. So what do we do? See, my, my, my fear is that we'll have one, this, you know, majority of our students will come in and they'll take one course on Islam or the, you know, introductions to religions of the West or, you know, something like that. And this is what always would bother me. So let's say, when I was back at the University of Calgary, I would do a one-semester course that looked at Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Now, I would, when I talked about Judaism, I would always talk about you know how 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 the religion of how 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 basically how monotheism was a political invention. Uh, based, you know, because when King Josiah tried to make the Deuteronomic reforms, and then I would talk about, you know, the invention of rabbinic Judaism, and then I would talk about the invention of reform and orthodoxy and all this kind of thing. So always using those terms, invention. When we get to, to, to Christianity, as you know, people that work on Christian origins, some of them are extremely sophisticated. I think of my friend and colleague like Bill Arnell or Willie Brown at, at the University of Regina and Alberta, respectively, who talk about the invention of Christianity. Then when we get to Islam, no one ever uses that term. You can't talk about, you know, you have to work on the Muhammad received the Quran from the Archangel Gabriel on top of Mount Hira, whatever. And there's never that conversation. So if you're a student, Muslim or non-Muslim, you go into that class, you hear the professor talking about Judaism, about invention, Christianity, about invention, and Islam about faith, based, based on, a, you know, essentially creedal statements. What do they believe? That Islam is the true religion, which is a great theological point, because we can talk about inventions and also, so what I'm trying to say in the introductory class book and, and textbook and in introductory presentations, we have to use the same kind of language that we use with other traditions. And I don't think that's done enough. Um, that's kind of a good segue uh, since we're kind of running towards the end of our time. Um, maybe you could talk about some of your forthcoming projects and what, what you might be working on in the future. I know you have a lot of stuff coming out right now. Um, but I would love to also hear about what you're kind of working uh, a little further down the pipeline. Okay. Um, well, I just I have a, a book of mine just came out called Abrahamic Religions on the Uses and Abuses of History. In case you think I was hit on the head and I'm actually going to talk about Abrahamic Religions on it. Um, and true to my critical nature, I'm extremely critical of the discourse Abrahamic religion. So what it is, is it's an essentially, it's a genealogy of the term. And my goal is to do for the term Abrahamic religions, what Bruce Lincoln did for the category myth. Um, And I basically show how it's a, a modern invention, and that historically, Christians, Jews and Muslims have killed in the name of Abraham and the proper interpretation of Abraham. And now all of a sudden we use it as if it is a, as an interfaith marker. And I just want to, you know, just try to bring the same critical skills to that, that I bring to all my other projects. Um, In April of this coming year, I have a textbook scheduled to come out with uh, Columbia University Press called Muslim Identities, uh, an introduction to Islam in which I try to do precisely what I've talked about here. Um, uh, I remember talking to a couple of people this year's AAR and they said, well, how did you arrange it? And I said, well, I arranged it the way every other textbook is arranged because if I arranged it differently, no one would be interested in it. So what I do is I try to take all the, the, the units of a traditional introduction to Islam course, pre-Islamic Arabia, Muhammad, the Quran, uh, early history, uh, sectarian divisions, Sufism, uh, women, post 9-11, et cetera, et cetera, but try to use the type of methods and theories, uh, methods that I've talked about today. Uh, further down the p- pipes, uh, in, I'm thinking next fall, I have a book uh, with SUNY State University of New York Press coming out called The Study of Judaism, uh, Identity, Authenticity, Scholarship. And in that book, I pretty much try to do for, in case people think I'm, I sometimes get the, I'm worried that people see me as a Zionist critic of, 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 of Islam, um, uh, which I'm not uh, in any stretch of the imagination. I'm, uh, uh, but I try to do for the study of Judaism, 
what I've done for the study of Islam. So I, I in many ways see this book as a type of situating Judaism book in which I look at the various discourses and apologetic discourses and identity politics that um, function in the construction of something amorph- called amorphously, quote-unquote, Judaism. So uh, that's that. I also am working on a, a new project, on uh, which takes me back to my old textual skills on the, the impossibility of Jewish philosophy. philosophy. And other than that, i got a bunch of other projects on the go. <laughs> You're, you sound very busy. I try to keep busy. Great. Well, Aaron, thanks so much for uh, making the time to talk to us. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Well, C- Christian, I thank you for uh, taking an interest in my work, and I'm, I'm very appreciative. Yes, yes, and we look forward to, to, to more down the road. So thank you again. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to New Books in Islamic Studies. That was my conversation with Aaron Hughes about Theorizing Islam, Disciplinary Deconstruction and Reconstruction from Equinox Press, 2012.